Presented by Caltech. Thank you all so much for coming. I hope you are as excited as, as I am for this talk. Um, I would like you to introduce you to Mimi Ong, who is here to talk about the Mars Helicopter Scout project. Mimi Ong is currently the Autonomous Systems Deputy Division Manager at JPL. Um, she completed her education at the University of Illinois and has great expertise in autonomous systems guidance and control she has been with JPL and Caltech for a long time in numerous roles. Um, and in that time, she has been the manager of the guidance and control section. She has served as the project element manager for formation flying technology for the terrestrial planet finder mission, as well as the manager for the autonomous formation fly flying sensor for the Starlight mission. So please welcome Mimi Yang. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Michelle and Maria. Everybody, thank you for coming. I'm very excited to talk to you. So um, I'm going to present today the Mars Helicopter Scout, which is a proposal to fly a helicopter at Mars. And we're proposing to fly it, launch it with the Mars 2020 mission. And uh, it is a proposal at this time under discussion at NASA headquarters. Uh, we have you know, not been selected or decided upon yet, but there is ongoing discussion. So um, I'd like to also acknowledge you know, co-authors for this page, uh, the chief engineer uh, for the Mars helicopter scout, Bob Bellram, and then the original PI, science PI for this original proposal, which is Matt Gollenbeck. Uh, three of us usually tag team on presenting this. So anyway, so I'm presenting for all of us. All right, so um, I'll present it in this uh, order. I'll introduce it to you and go into a little bit about why the Mars Helicopter Scout, and then after that, go into what it is and the question of will it work. We're convinced it will work. I just want to share with you the overview of uh, will it work, and then I'd like to really you know, engage you in the end about what about the future? I mean, why a helicopter at Mars? And in fact, your inputs and your thoughts would be you know, appreciated at the end. Okay, so the Mars Helicopter Scout, by the way, we need a better name, we've been told. They said it's not exciting or uh, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, if you have names, um, it, it's gonna scout ahead of a planetary surface rover uh, to provide high res uh, high-resolution aerial images. Okay, so the thought is for a high-resolution camera uh, to complementary to a rover, you know, be able to fly far ahead of the rover to get high-definition images more than we do today, uh, so that we can use those high-definition image information uh, to first decide which site we want to go to to get the best science, what kind of science we expect when we get there, and that's the science side, and then operational side, because once we decide where to go, getting really high definition images between where the rover is and where the site we want to go, you know, for kilometers, we can actually turn them into three-dimensional terrain maps and then plan better operations. So it's two, uh, th our intentions are two forks. So needless to say, I mean, this is a game-changing proposal that we're making, we're very excited. Uh, state of the art is to drive rovers, right? But this would be just like on Earth, right? We, we drive cars, but we have planes for the faster traverse to go further to look at it, adding this aerial component to uh, exploration of a uh, surface of Mars is, uh, is something that we're very excited about. Okay, so um, 
The proposal is to demonstrate this new mobility uh, technology for Mars exploration um, and demonstrate a first-of-a-kind science and operations utility. And again, I want you to keep in mind this is a tech demonstration, the first proposal, but it leads to many future expansions that you probably make at least you know, longer than I can. So, and uh, of course, validate this concept and pave the way for the future. Um, this is a functional overview of the helicopter, and uh, we'll get a little more into details later. Um, the, the, oh, there's a full-size mock-up here. So this is a full-size, um, and the, the plan is for the nominal flight, for this version to fly two to three minutes in duration, okay, per day. And the nominal uh, altitude is 600 meters, going down you know, half a kilometer to a kilometer, basically. Uh, fly 40 meters uh, above the ground and fly once per sol, and then spend the rest of the day charging up. It's a self-standing uh, system that I'll talk about. And uh, the instrument on here in this uh, that we propose for this um, proposal is a high-resolution color image of the terrain and a very low mass, very light, but high-resolution camera Okay, to do fly that. And, uh, if you think about that, and I'm saying the word nominal because it's a very powerful tool. If you think of a helicopter platform carrying a camera as opposed to you just having a camera fixed you know, on, a, on the ground or on a rover that's moving slowly, I mean, you can actually vary the height that you fly in and then the baseline that you form you know, in, to get the different pictures from different angles and the different lengths, right? So it's a very powerful, flexible trajectory that you can actually command to get your series of images. Okay, so the helicopter is 1.1 uh, meter in diameter, okay, and then the chassis that you see here is 14 centimeters per side, and the mass, the total mass, including everything, the rotors and everything it has to lift, and the camera, everything, is approximately one um, kilogram. The power that it's gonna consume, which, by the way, it has to generate on its own through the solar panels and charge the batteries inside, is 220 watts. Um, the data will be, a lot of it will be stored, stored on board, and some of the data from the images taken will be sent back to an interface box on the rover during the flight a little bit, but primarily while it's on the ground. So the idea is to land this uh, rover. This is a notional accommodation that would be possible in the 2020. Uh, to have the rover and it's, uh, it gets actually slid down and flipped and dropped very nicely, but this is a nice way to be tucked in, carried, okay? And then this part will be dropped on the ground, okay? And then the rover will drive away. And from that point on, this helicopter is to be a standalone instrument. It never goes back to the rover again, which means it has to survive on its own thermally, it power-wise, and it has to be able to, the only thing will be the RF link you know, between the rover and the helicopter to give it trajectories that we wanted to follow and that, you know, to get the images back, okay? So this part will be dropped, the rovers will drive away, and the, we will leave on the rover an antenna and an interface box through which we'll communicate. And so uh, it's a standalone, and uh, we, we say that because it's, it's a very uh, significant uh, point to make in that to Mars 2020 rover, we're not using the telecom link or anything. You know, the only thing is we talk to our own box, and then they talk to us like they talk to any other instrument that's attached to them. Okay? So with that high level, one other high level uh, uh, concept that I want to introduce to you is the helicopters that you see that are very common are, is shown traditional on the left. And what's being proposed is a coaxial helicopter. So the difference uh, is the traditional helicopter, right, has a primary rotor on top and the torque that it imparts 
is counteracted by this uh, tail rotor, right, to make sure to kind of push it back up. And so that's the traditional helicopter. What we're proposing is the, the torque that's imparted, you know, is canceled by another uh, rotor that's turning in the opposite direction, okay, to, uh, completely phased. And the reason for doing that is, uh, uh, in the very beginning, the team uh, traded you know, traditional helicopter, quad rotors, and the coaxial helicopter. And this came out the best for Mars cases, where we really need a very low mass option. I'll talk about that a little bit. Very low power, very easy to accommodate in a rover before we get deployed, and then the high performance. One thing I also want, which I didn't really pay attention to until I started working on this, I guess on, on Earth, right, we have landing pads for helicopters, you know, to land. And so we don't have that at Mars. And so, you know, the whole kind of having clearance and how easily we can land, a coaxial configuration really uh, allows for more options. Okay. So a little bit of time on uh, why a helicopter scout. So. Um, this is an orbital uh, image taken from uh, MRO, uh, I mean, through the high-rise camera of uh, Endeavour crater, the edge of it, okay? And uh, this is a resolution, and you can see that there are some um, outcrops, okay? Some areas of interest, but this is a resolution as, get, as good as it gets. So traditionally, you would say, okay, from orbit, say this area looks rich in outcrops, but the actual content of the outcrops for the scientists, I think there are probably more scientists that know a lot more than me, I'm sorry, I'm an engineer, you know, the actual detail, it doesn't have the resolution. So we end up, you know, taking the rover there, and for example, in this case, Opportunity spent about 100 souls walking about to find the area of interest. Okay, the kind of resolution, so this is about 25 centimeters per pixel when you're on the orbit, you know, with this kind of camera we're talking about. But this is the kind of resolution that they got once the rover got there, and that's the label, you know, level they need to find out, you know, the prehistoric, uh, you know, when, like the whole how was it habitable, and all the science questions are answered. You need this resolution, you know, which is um, more. So what we offer is more like three centimeter per pixel, like an order of uh, magnitude better in resolution so that we can actually fly the helicopter there and get this kind of information before spending you know, 30, 100 sol getting the rover over there. It's a major advantage. Um, another example, this is at uh, Victoria Crater. Um, opportunity spent 340 days scouting the North Rim and then finally finding an ingress point that everybody was happy with for mapping stratigraphy. And uh, when we talk about flying you know, 600 meters per day, uh, it, we can cover with calibration and all of those intense soils. So it's a very, very big difference. Um, another area that scientists, uh, you know, are very interested in is the geologic relations, key geologic relations between different types of, you know, information, different rocks and formation, and also the context, the geologic context. So where was this data taken from so that you can correlate it to other information? And you, this is where you can imagine, right, a helicopter can go places that rovers can't go to get these images. It's just, it's very powerful, okay? And then, so that's on the science perspective. Once you get all this data ahead of time and get to the science target, um, to plan the path, okay, again, helicopter can provide these high-resolution images that can be sent back to Earth, and then the rover drivers can use those to do three-dimensional reconstruction of the terrain and tell us, you know, how to drive. This is an example of curiosity when it came to uh, 
dingo gap. And this happened on Sol 527. And there were some sandy areas that they were worried about the rovers. There were some jagged rocks that they were worried for the wheels. The whole decision of, OK, should we go ahead and risk and get to this side? But what's on the other side? You know, <laughs> what if we get there and it's the same over there? A helicopter, for example, you know, images from there, high resolution would have been highly you know, useful for that. Okay. Lastly, a helicopter, this whole operability, the traverse, uh, how well you can, how fast you can drive per sol, okay, that is also affected. And this is an illustration. This is a picture of the Arroyo uh, next to JPL. And uh, I'm showing that because a quad rotor flight uh, was done, and a couple of the people who did it are here in the front. <laughs> and so, um, but this is a, a picture, a notional circle of typical MSL, you know, using the nav camera on the rover from seeing that. You can go blind driving about 100 meters and then you, per day, okay, per sol. And then another couple tens of uh, meters beyond that, not uh, blind driving, but, you know, using the auto nav on board. Okay, but if we were to be able to get data from say 400 meters down or 600 meters down, then the length that you can blind drive, you know, extends by that much. So what happens is then we took a scout cam uh, prototype of the equivalent camera that we, we are willing to fly, the low mass camera, and we wanted to show that this is feasible. So the quad rotor, uh, the, the quad rotor took the camera and flew at the 40 meters. And then those images were processed and put into the RSVP tool. That's the software tool that Curiosity and Opportunity and you know, those rover drivers use to actually generate the three-dimensional uh, terrain maps. And then they actually plan the, use their tools to do a rover safe plan through that and then demonstrate it uh, blind driving. Okay? And, and, and again, to going up to uh, 400 meters. So there is the scout cam on the quad rotor. It's in flight about 40 meters up. And then these were the images, you know, the left and right stereo pair just from the path. And these are the uh, data products that came out of it. And after putting the products together, this was kind of the three-dimensional stereo terrain mesh and that they put into this uh, tool, the RSVP tool, and simulated a blind drive. So compared to the 120 to 140 meter per sol kind of you know, drive blind driving plus some of the auto nav, we are uh, demonstrating that you can enable two to three times better. You, know, you can go further per sol you know, with this kind of help uh, with these uh, high resolution images. Okay? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the movie play for this, but there is a nice uh, fully, you know, full simulation in the RSVP tool, but this, this was part of it. So. Okay. So, Hopefully, uh, you're as excited about it as we are about why. So let's talk a little bit about what is it, OK? So um, it is a coaxial helicopter. And um, it is designed to fly on Mars. And the, um, they are supposed to be made, the shapes and you know, the size are all optimized uh, to be uh, able to fly in a very thin atmosphere. So the Mars is at like. 0.012 kilograms per meter cube, like you know, one hundredth of the density of the Earth here. So when you kind of flap, you know, your arm or a wing or something, it just doesn't. The lift is not as much as here, and so the biggest challenge is to lift. So that's why you'll see that was one of the first demos that we addressed. Okay, so the question, okay, the, where does the one kilogram come from, right? So 
further, when you fix the wind, the, the rotor diameter, and that comes from the rover accommodation. So I want you to keep that in mind. Okay, the bigger you make the rotor to a certain extent, you know, the more you can lift. But we are limited on a tech demo basis how big a helicopter can be, right? Because of the space that the rover has to accommodate us. So the length that we can work out is up to about 1.1 meters. Okay. Given that and the uh, Mars parameters, uh, our um, calculation, the aerodynamic, uh, you know, calculations show that we can lift about one kilogram and then plus some margin we can allow. That means now the entire vehicle can weigh more than a kilogram. So. 2.2 pounds, I mean, it's not very, it's not very heavy, okay? So the ch it's a very, very interesting challenge, and so we've been looking at that. So another thing is, remember I said to the, it gets dropped off by the rover and we never go home again, right? We're on our own, adults at that time. So it really has to have its own solar panel, and so the solar panel is kind of right now placed where there is least uh, aerodynamic action, at least that, you know, that we can put. Uh, it converts solar energy into power, and we have batteries inside. We have... Uh, inside that holds to that 220 um, watts. Uh, that, and because of that, uh, we will be flying about two to three minutes per day and then spend the rest of the daytime charging ourselves. Okay, so it's a very um, fine line we're walking. It has to survive at night, uh, so there is aerogel insulation uh, to keep it warm. Again, there is, it can get too cold, it can get too hot. Okay, it has to be challenged. Um, and then in terms of flying it, okay, uh, what the mode of operation is then we tell from Earth after we get these images and say, oh, looks like this is the best way to go from here to over there. Here are the waypoints. Follow these trajectories, right? And so you need to, the helicopter will take off, start flying towards those waypoints, but it needs onboard measurements to make sure it's staying on the track, uh, on track, right? It's totally autonomous. We are not, we cannot joystick it, right, from, um, from Earth. Um, and so the, what we're using is the camera, which again we use for science and operational images purposes, but we'll also use it for navigation. And we'll use IMU and altimeter to measure the height. Uh, so we have a gyro and accelerometer and the altimeter, and then use those to keep the helicopter on track. And also at the end, uh, remember the reason I said there is no landing pads on Mars, you know, you do have to land somewhere flat and you know, away from rocks. So we do have to do, be looking on the ground and using the camera images with the motion, you know, giving you perspectives from different angles, reconstruct and find out where the hazards are. And at the last you know, few you know, tens of seconds or you know, uh, under a minute, do decide that the place we decided to land is safe or if it isn't, do a quick calculation of a divert you know, to land to a safe place. So, it has, it has to have smarts, but again, these are, we do a lot of this on spacecraft. Uh, so, you know, entry, descent, and landing, rendezvous and docking proximity operations. Uh, these are not things that are strange to us, but we're doing it with a helicopter. So, okay. Um, and then we talked about the camera uh, and then the landing system. Again, it has to be resilient. Uh, we are designing it because of the... Now are you starting to feel like mass constraint? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're feeling the pressure that we're feeling, right? I mean, we can only put the helicopter where the you know, rover can give us. So we can have these self-riding systems, not this time anyway for this not version. So the, the trick was, is to uh, design landing systems that are resilient. So maybe it lands faster and harder than we think, but okay, add some spring, okay? It might be tilted more than we think, you know? Okay. Be, we need a, a forgiving kind of landing lake. So that, those are the landing lakes there. Um, and then the radio. The radio provides um, 
a link uh, back to our interface box on the rover so that we can send our image and also we can so that we can command. And um, so that's what makes up the system. So it's a really fun system. Okay, we have the atmosphere to think about. We have the, we'll talk a little bit about winds and you know, a little, some dust conditions that we have to talk about. We've been doing a lot of analysis to show that we've come up with kind of a balance between a resilient, robust system and onboard smart control. So that's what we're proposing. And on top of it, because of the very low mass, remember this one kilogram really dominates. So like our chief engineer, Bob Bellram, in terms of counting changes in dollars, he's counting in grams. Like, how many grams more? How come you're violating by two grams? You know, it's really, literally. So it really is about low mass. And so we're having to use a lot of the low cost um, commercial parts. They really are advanced. You know, you can think about the cameras. You can, you know, you even have on your phone or the GoPros that are out there. You can talk about the computer chips that are on your iPhone. We're taking advantage of those technologies to get there in a very light solution because our traditional spacecraft solutions just don't land to this um, innovative platform. So, so we have parts selected and we've been evaluating and uh, everything is hanging together in terms of mass and the power and the performance. So. Um, again, the idea of the helicopter operation, there's a keep out zone around the rover. We promise the rover we'll stay away from it so that we never, you know, this is a tech demo, so they will be operating from afar now. They'll still be able to see us and take pictures of us and send it back to Earth so that we can see you know, ourselves flying. Um, and so the, there'll be a daily battery recharge and then the two to three you know, flight, minutes of flight per sol will take off we, and then fly about two minutes and then uh, come down, uh, and this can go, you know, we may start, this is a concept, you know, is to say, okay, we, we are first start with somewhere where we know. The rover leaves us somewhere flat and nice and safe, right? So maybe fly two minutes and come back close to where we started. But as we get more experience, remember we're getting images all the time, right? We can get braver and you can see this curve going further and further out and we don't have to keep coming back where we're coming. Again, think about how powerful this tool is. You can absolutely control the design, the trajectory, the path that you want it to flow so that you get the kind of information you want, right? And again, I talk a little about onboard uh, autonomy that's needed, you know, to keep the, you on the trajectory, the path that you planned and then um, look at the uh, images and they're paired and, and then you do, do a 3D reconstruction to determine safe site and to land. Um, thermal design, we don't, this is not an accurate design, just giving you an idea that inside the chassis you see, right, we have the aerogel, but inside all the electronics are actually in a very small cube. I think it's about a seven centimeter per side cube. So all the chips, all the batteries, um, so the gyros, excels, all of that have to fit in there. Okay, um, and this, I'm not gonna keep this curve here. I just wanted us to remind, recap kind of the technical design with this picture, okay? When you have that one um, kilogram mass constraint and the atmospheric density and the size, and remember this is an electric vehicle, it's kind of generating its own power, and so if you need to lift more mass, you can always do it by turning the rotor faster, as long as you don't exceed the speed of sound, okay, there is that limit too, okay, so the rotor can be uh, going faster than the speed of sound. So bet between those constraints, you can play the game. So let's say you need to lift more, right, then you're gonna need more power. But guess what, when you need more power, then you need 
bigger solar cells, unless you can get them more efficient, or and then you can get the bigger battery. So it's kind of this fine game. And the also, but you can save power by if you can make the rotor turning more efficient. You know, we can play with the efficiency of the rotor. You can play with the size of the rotor. Or you can play with the time of flight. Let's say we run into an issue where, oh, we're too big. Oh my, you know, we can we have to so there are all these kind of different ways that you can optimize the system. And that's a game that we've been playing and understanding the sensitivities. And so that's what the curve was just saying, that everything, nothing comes for free. Okay, so if you go up more in power, your mass will grow and you know, and, and it's just showing right now we have margin, uh, but again, we have to be very flexible and we're gonna have to be very agile. It's the first time nobody Nobody has flown uh, an aerial vehicle on another planet, so we'll, we're ready to learn. Okay, so the question of uh, will it work? Um, so the biggest, as I mentioned just now, I think the first question, I think somebody just now uh, said, uh, I think Udon said that, you know, hey, I don't even know, is this possible, right? So it really is the first thing is aerodynamically, is it possible? And so this work started way back as late as, I think Bob Bellron started in 1999. There's some work that started there and uh, it's been all pulled back up. And so uh, the idea of feasibility has been around, you know, since the late 90s kind of. And so since the 2013, when uh, the, you know, the JPL has become serious about pursuing this idea, now the electronics have become better, smaller, more capable. This is the right time to push for this. Um, we've dug it up, and so uh, there have been like the blade characteristic, the whole, this airfoil, you know, that's going. How does it, can it lift that analysis? So there have been some uh, CFD analysis done, and then there was a static test uh, done with, uh, you know, you command it, put it in a chamber with Mars-like atmospheric density and see how it responds. That test was done statically, and then we tested it with kind of a strain two size and saying, can it lift? When you turn the rotor this fast in this atmosphere, does it go up? And it works. So then the next step we did was to say, again, we're not adding control yet. Just instead of having on rail system do a free flight system, just a very fast, it's not tuned for Mars or anything, but at least to say for this size at a given revolutions per minute, it should lift freely. Uh, we did that experiment last year and they were all successful. Uh, and in parallel, we've been looking at the whole control system, right? Given the thinner atmosphere and the low Reynolds number, you know, and how does the blade interact and how controllable is the blade you know, interaction between the blade and the atmosphere and how amenable is it to being controlled. So there is kind of the control analysis that's been going in parallel, analysis of simulation while the blade's been characterized. And the next big uh, activity we're, we're proposing, and this is a part of, this would be a part of the flight development, is to first do the one meter system, fly it in a chamber, closed loop control. Okay, so it would come to that. So with that, um, I just want to show you a movie of this, um, free flight test, right, that, that we did. It's a scaled, remember this is about one meter, this is a one-third scaled vehicle that we built very quickly, right, within a few months. And just to make sure that, and then pump down this 25-foot chamber at JPL down to the Mars atmospheric density, and then asked it to, you know, lift, basically turn, you know, it's so many like 7,000 RPM, and at certain RPM it should lift, and we're glad to report that yes, it lifted at the RPM we predicted, so, okay. But I want to just also give you a heads up, this is not a control demo, so you're gonna see it just has to lift and then the operator shut it down and then lift again and shut it down. But our next goal would be to have it fully controlled, but also with the full size, the one meter. So this is the one third meter um, demo. And um, how do I find, oh, I see, I just click it like this. 
and there it spins, and, and then it lifts, you know, it lifts about uh, two or three times the rotor diameter, right? So this was very, very good news for us. This is totally in the Mars, you know, 0.015 um, kilograms per meter cube environment. And so we were, we were very happy that it lifted when it was supposed to. And, um, and then the very last one, uh, the operator didn't um, kill it in time, and it did crash. <laughs> so after, but I didn't want to put it up here in case it got ingrained that we designed it that way. But it's an experiment. So anyway, we were very happy with that result, but um, we're eager to do the full size and closed loop. And the closing the loop now would mean Lifting it with the more Martian, you know, atmospheric optimized blade, being able to command it real time, you know, the whole, the blade directions and the speed and feeding back from the real time measurement of, you know, where the, uh, the, uh, the coaxial uh, vehicle, the, the helicopter is and being able to control it real time. Uh, it has a lot of challenges around it, but it'll give us um, and it would bring all our simulations uh, on the, onto the test bed for real. So the challenges is a robust uh, landing in the presence of wind. This is just top level challenges, but we have to think about Mars. So we plan to schedule flights for favorable winds, like uh, less than five meters per second, and we'll use the predictions from the rover. There's a metrology station data that they have, so we can use that data. Um, also, because of the, you can see the lakes, you know, the four lakes and kind of hugged in, tugged in, uh, it is flexible. Uh, it's designed to uh, withstand when it's sitting on the ground, you know, up to uh, 45 meters per second stable winds, which the wind experts said is a reasonable assumption for a good worst case. So those are the things we have to talk about. Accurate scaling from Earth model to Mars. You know, this whole, we can never have the, this one third of the gravity at Mars, one hundredth of the atmospheric density and the composition, you know, the whole is different, uh, the slightly different uh, Mach, you know, uh, the, the, the sound of speed on Mars and all of that, all in the same environment in one experiment, right? So, that everything has to be scaled. So it isn't like we can build like a third scale and say scale everything down and put it into a Mars chamber, but there, it kind of scales kind of non-linearly across all the parameters. So the scaling is the challenge, and that's why we will have to do test as you fly exception, just like entry, descent, and landing, right? When we land at Mars, we have many simulations. We have many hardware tests. We have field tests. We have test bed tests, right? But they all have to come together and have, have us you know, check off different angles that we want to check, but we can never do you know, real EDL simulation until we really get to Mars. You know, that's our ultimate field test when we get to Mars. It's the same thing, the helicopter, because of the different, um, the way different factors impact. But again, we've done it uh, before and we're employing all the EDL techniques into this. Um, and so in our proposal, uh, this is a technology demonstration. We say the vehicle is capable of one flight per sole, uh, each one up to 600 meters, Again, altitudes from this 10 to 100 meter, okay, um, altitude. Minimum success is five flights, okay. Having said that, um, multiple additional uh, flights are possible because there are no consumables, right? I mean, it just, it's a solar panel charging the battery and the battery recharging when it's being used. Um, there's software that we can tell different, you know, we can command from the rover different paths to follow, okay? so. Given that there isn't, it isn't some fuel it's using up or any kind of um, supplies that could run out except 
aging or you know things like other things like that. The most likely, if you ask us, you know, how do you think this mission will end? Is it'll crash land or it'll tip over? And this is where I really crave for you know these self-standing systems that we just don't have the mass or the volume yet. You know, I think you've seen these quad toy quad copters that you know they land and then they have a self-riding and the uh, the kids can start you know controlling again. We don't have the self-riding, so this is how we think the mission. But if we're careful, I mean, it could go on for a long time. Okay, so this is what we are um, going for. So, having said that, I guess this is the part that I really wanted your attention, and even if you, you know, your ideas and thoughts and suggestions, um, um, we're certainly not doing this for a one-time fun or a game, you know, it's really to us, we believe in this because this is the first step in breaking that aerial component, right? And it just, um, things will be so much faster, you know? Yes, rovers are great, you know, they can go far, but we can go that much faster, we can go that much more, and they're complementary, right? So um, it really has a lot of feet forward. And some, and there was a list, longer list, but um, here are a few examples, right? Like Mars, free roaming helicopters, okay, that, that um, talk directly to the orbiters instead of just talking to a rover, okay, that could be it. Or um, the second one is a sterile autonomous helicopter. So um, they're like biologically very interesting and very sensitive areas that we wouldn't send our rover close to because, you know, we can't keep clean our rover, something so big, as clean as we'd like to, and we wouldn't want to introduce our... Um, I don't know, <laughs> organics <laughs> into Mars or anything. We don't go close to um, somewhere like, um, you know, in, with a rover. But a helicopter, if you make it small, so that if we stay small, something like this could be sterile. It could be sterilized and actually packaged and then not open until it gets to Mars. In which case, there is a slight hope that you can actually get a vehicle close to very interesting areas of science. You know, these are thing, all thinking far beyond what we do today. Okay, um, and then there, how about the larger, you know, rotorcraft missions? You know, how can it, how far, how big can it get? The first analysis show easily to 500 kilogram, you know, class of spacecraft. At, at some point, it gets, it becomes a spacecraft of its own, and um, you know, all the rotor efficiencies and all that. There will be an end, but it could up to 50 kilometers. It's looking very good and getting bigger. So you can see, as you have much bigger helicopters like on Earth, uh, you can see more sophisticated instruments. Um, you know, that could be put on. Titan, Venus have atmosphere. We could have applications there. Um, human exploration. Um, uh, surveillance helicopter for humans, you know, living on the surface or exploring on the surface, right? Again, I mean, instead of just waiting to see what you can see on top of a mass, looking, you would like to actually joystick. In that case, he could joystick, actually. He would be there. Joystick a, you know, helicopter and go see where you should be going or what's going on. Um, Another idea, I guess, is uh, the, let's say there was a Phobos outpost instead of people settling on Mars. Can you joystick a bunch of helicopters? Now you're talking within range. So these are some of the out-of-the-box thinking. Um, and then definitely even in Earth science, you know, this, we have synergy with autonomous drones. And so um, evolution of Mars exploration, for example, we've come a long ways, right? We started with the orbiters, which are still very important to us. Uh, very wide area. You can see, right, almost globally or a big fraction of the planet, but low resolution imaging. You saw the capability. It, you can only see so much at that high, hundreds of uh, kilometers above, okay? So then we've come to landers. And then the, we have had like Viking kind of lander where a single location, no mobility, but you can do locally very high resolution, right? 
Then we've come into rovers where limited mobility, I mean limited meaning you know, 10 kilometers, maybe 20 kilometers, but um, unless you know, we can accelerate in that dimension too, but locally very high resolution, right? So the 2020 proposal that we have right now is here, which is now rover paired with the Scout, right? So efficient mobility, go further and still you know, work with the rover in a complementary fashion. And again, wide area, because you're gonna be high, you have the altitude, you can look much further. Um, and uh, high resolution imaging. And then, um, then here are the future that I really want you to think about and you know, give a suggestion or you, you should actually expand your imagination now. If you don't have to just stay with orbital images for your experiments that you're interested in and not just stay with the rover, but now if you can put an aerial vehicle, how would you use it? Okay, you can think of fleets, multiple helicopters using, going to different regions and gathering the information very quickly. Again, the biological sensitive zone exploration or very big, you know, long range, like 50 kilograms, 100 kilogram class kind of aerial vehicle. So, um, you know, with that, um, I guess I hope I have uh, successfully shared with you um, our vision that this is a modest start uh, to breaking the aerial dimension of exploring another planet. This should be just the beginning, uh, but if we're able to succeed it, this will lead, just like the little sojourner, remember that nobody wanted to put on the, we don't want that, you know, silly thing. We got other missions, you know, other important mission things to do, and the sojourner actually, we learned that, oh, rovers really are very effective. It can get us away from the fixed stand. We can go further. Uh, we really have a lot of hope in this, both complementary to the rover and standalone. So, thank you. <laughs>